0: My wife, uh, Teresa, and I have been married for almost 19 years. And from time to time, I tell her that I love her. (laughs) I tell her that I love her. I say that I love her. But if I were not to spend time with my wife, or if I were to not give my wife gifts ever, if I were to never do what she wanted to do, if I were to never sacrifice my preferences for hers, even if I said that I loved my wife, would I actually be loving my wife? This is a question that is very similar to the one that James is asking in the book of James this morning. We're going to look at James chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 14, and this is what James says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He begins here with this question in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. What good is it if somebody says that they have faith, but they don't have any works that go along with that? Can that faith save him? And this is a debate that I've had with people many times, and, and for a long time I've had this debate with people. Uh, one of the first ones that I can remember was in uh, college. I was in a, a group uh, Bible study, and we were talking about this issue And they were saying, the problem with you, Travis, is that you're very judgmental. I said, oh, am I? I, Why why is that? They said, well, you're very judgmental because you think that people have to do things in order to become Christians, in order to be Christians. I said, what what do you mean? And they said, well, you think that if somebody doesn't act like a Christian, then they're not a real Christian. I said, well... um, I think that people who are real Christians will act like Christians, that's true. They they said, but we know, we know that it's what you believe that matters, not what you do. And so somebody can believe but not act like it, and you wouldn't know if they were a Christian or not. And you think, you can tell whether or not a person is a Christian just based on what they do. I said, well, I can't always tell whether or not somebody is not a Christian But I think sometimes it's very obvious, based on how somebody acts, that they are a Christian. You know, I had this debate again when I got into seminary. I was talking with somebody, and they said, "Travis, the problem with you is you're a fruit inspector," and when I don't even know what that means. They said you're always looking for people's fruit that they bear fruit, and you're trying to inspect their fruit to determine whether or not they're Christians. And I said, I I don't think that it's for me to decide. But I do think that if they are Christians, they will produce fruit. Yes, there will be results that follow along with that. In fact, that's what James is saying, right? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can that faith save you? And then he gives this example. He says, If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? We talked last weekend, earlier in the book of James, about how we ought to respond to those who are poor, right? That, that um, the temptation might be, if somebody who is dressed in shabby clothing comes in, that we would push them to the side, right? That we would receive someone who was well-dressed and well-to-do. We would receive them warmly, but somebody who is dressed in shabby clothing and obviously poor, we might push them to the side. Now he's taking this a step further, is in here's somebody, a brother or sister, somebody in your fellowship, in your midst, who comes in and their clothing is not sufficient and their food is not sufficient. They don't have enough food for today. And you say to them, I hope you have a great day. Be warm and well fed. Does that do them any good? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Did your faith help them at all? No. Did your faith help you at all? No. It didn't help. What good is that if you just say those things... We're not talking about a random person that you encounter on the side of the road somewhere that's, that's panhandling. We're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody that's in your midst, somebody that you refer to as a brother or a sister. I'm not saying that you have to uh, take care of every need everywhere, but how are you responding to the needs right amongst you, right in your midst? How are you responding to those? Those those people that God calls his people, those that he refers to as his children. How could we say that we love God if we don't take care of his children? If you say that you love me, but you don't like my kids, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that you love me. My kids are okay with that. Because what good is it if you just say the words but you don't have any action that accompanies it? I, I, I think about it this way. If, if we say that we believe that seatbelts save lives, right? We, I, I believe that seatbelts save lives, but I don't believe that a seatbelt is going to save my life unless I buckle up. As I pull out of the parking lot, I buckle up. Then I know that that seatbelt could save my life. Otherwise, it's just words that I'm saying. I'm saying, oh, yes, I believe in general seatbelts save lives. But even knowing that doesn't do me any good unless I actually buckle up myself. He says, but, but, verse 18. Oh, sorry, verse 17. So also, faith by itself does not have work, that does not have works, is dead. So he says, just like that faith that didn't do that person who was poor and and didn't have enough clothing and didn't have enough food, just like you're telling them be warm and well-fed didn't actually help them at all, so also faith, apart from works that accompany it, is dead. It's it's an interesting thing that he's doing here because we know, right, We've, we've said over and over again, we believe that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, right? We can't be saved by works. Every Christian knows that. You can't be saved by your works, it's by faith alone, by faith alone, by faith alone. This is why my colleagues, both at the seminary and the, at the, the college, would, would talk with me and go, uh-uh, time out, by grace alone through faith alone. There's no works in there. There's no works in there. We're talking then about a theoretical faith that could exist based on knowledge and belief apart from any associated action as if such a thing could exist. And what James is saying here is that kind of faith is dead. If it does not have works, it's dead. It's not real faith. It's not living faith. I I would put it this way. If faith doesn't work, it doesn't work. If faith doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's not real faith. You can demonstrate whether or not the faith is real based on the works that accompany it. We should believe and then act according to what we believe. I believe that seatbelts saved my life, so I buckle up. I believe that helmets prevent injury, and so I wear a helmet. I believe that there is one true God, and so I act accordingly. I worship him, I love others, and express his glory to others. Because I believe it. And if I don't do those things, can that faith save you? But someone will say, ha, uh, ha, ha, uh. you have faith and I have works. You have have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith is active, it does things, it results in things. It's not passive, it's not a thing that we just think about, it's not a thing that we just say we believe when pressed. Are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah. And then, okay, we checked that off. Now moving on with how I actually live my life. Let's back that up. Do you actually believe? Do you actually believe that there is one true God? Does your life mirror that, reflect that, demonstrate that? Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You can demonstrate your faith based on the things that you do so that people can look and go, oh yeah, I see that there is integrity. There is consistency between the things that they say they believe and the things that they actually do. There is harmony there. Because otherwise what we are saying is one thing and we are doing something else and it reflects one of my favorite words which, or my favorite terms which is cognitive dissonance. That is, I say that I believe one thing but my actions or other things that I believe don't match. And so there's dissonance between these two things that I believe. We want to have harmony. That is, that I believe it and I really do believe it. There's not something else that counteracts that or a way that we live that is other than the thing that we say that we believe. We're not saying that you are therefore saved by the works, right? It's by God's grace alone, through our faith alone. Nobody can be saved by the works themselves Works apart from faith are no better than faith apart from works. You can't be saved by the works, nor do you have to have perfect works. I'm not saying that you have to have uh, perfect obedience to God in order to be saved, but you ought to have works associated with the faith. The faith should result in something, there ought to be results. Show me my, your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We're lining up those beliefs. Verse 19, he goes on to say, You believe that God is one. You do well. Oh, I believe. Do you believe that there is one true God? Yes. Oh, yes, I believe. Great. That's great. We'll talk with people and and say, do you believe that, that there is one true God? Yes. Do you believe that his son was sent to die on the cross for your sins? Yes. Great. Even the demons believe that. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. The demons know that. The demons know that there is one true God. They know that the second person of the Trinity came to be God and man and live among us. They know that he died on the cross for the sins of his people so that those who believe in him will have eternal life. They know all of those things. And when they hear and see those things, they shudder. (sighs) And they revolt and they rebel against it. And it is not belief only, right? That, that is, that we need to not just understand those things to be true and acknowledge that they are true. But how do we respond to that? Do we really believe that there is a great and holy God sovereign over the universe? If so, then our response to Him should be that of repentance, Oh, my holy God, how can I stand before you as a wicked sinner like I am? And so we repent and we ask for forgiveness. And then we seek to live our lives in ways that acknowledge and glorify Him. Because to do otherwise, just to express belief, does not match the kind of faith that can save. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, he says, that faith apart from works is useless? That that faith without works is is a counterfeit? It's not real? If I were to stand up here and I were to to say, hey, I've got a $100 bill for anybody who wants it, some of these people here would be quite excited about that. But if I held that $100 bill up and it was monopoly money, they might be less excited. Right? Why? Because it's not a real $100 bill. You can't do anything with that kind of $100 bill. It doesn't work. You can't buy anything with it. It doesn't do anything. It's a fake. It's a counterfeit. Do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? It's, it's counterfeit. So we have this story about how um, Abraham believed God, right? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God had made a promise to Abraham in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12 that he would bless him and he would bless his offspring and through his offspring all nations would be blessed. He's reiterated that in Genesis chapter 15, and Abraham believed him, and it was credited to him as righteousness when he believed God. But then in Genesis chapter 22, God tested that faith. God tested that faith and said, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And Abraham believed God. He didn't understand how it would work, but he believed the promises of God, and he trusted God, and he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, knowing that God would yet fulfill his promises. And it was in that firm belief, that firm faith in who God was, that he acted accordingly, and his faith was justified. I think of it this way. And think of a, of a, a coach And the coach is watching the game, and he's going, I think I need to pull that player out. So let's say we have a baseball coach, and he's watching this game, and he sees the pitcher, and he goes, I need to pull the pitcher out. I need to put in a different pitcher. And so he pulls the pitcher out, and he puts in a new pitcher. He brings in the reliever, and that was the right decision. That was the right thing to do. How do we know that? Well, because when the new pitcher comes in, he strikes out the side, and they win the game. And the decision was justified by the actions that followed. We all knew, oh, that, that manager, that, that uh, coach made the right decision, and it was justified by the acts that followed. So it's the same thing with Abraham. Abraham believed God, that was counted to him as righteousness, and then it was demonstrated that faith was justified in his actions, in his following through on uh, his beliefs. He followed through on that. I love the way that it puts it here in verse 22. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by the works, perfected by the works. It found its completion in the works. The faith was latent before that, and then it becomes active and completes it, it becomes complete in the work that happened. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, verse 24, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He gives another example. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So years later, years after Abraham, the the nation of Israel was preparing to go into this new land, and they sent the spies in to see what the land was like. And they came into the city of Jericho, and they're looking around at all the walls and things, and they get found out. Now in that city was a woman named Rahab. And Rahab had heard about this great God and this nation of Israel that was coming, And she said to those spies, come with me and I will hide you. Because I have heard about your great God and your God is the one true God. And so I want to save you and here's what you're going to do for me. When you come in and you take over this whole place, Because your God is the one true God and he's going to give you this whole place. When that happens, you spare my life and my family's life as I'm sparing your life. You see, Rahab believed. She believed that there was one true God and he was giving this land to his people. There were lots of people in that city that believed that. There were lots of people who believed that there was one god, one true god that was with that nation Israel and that they were going to take over this land and they shuddered. Whew. We are about to lose everything because they have the true god on their side. But Rahab, she believed, and her actions followed suit. And she said, you come with me, I'm going to save you, and then when you come and take over, you're going to save me. Because that one true God, I want that God as my God. And so Rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Isn't this interesting? He uses these two different examples, very different examples. I don't know if he could think of two more different examples than, A- than Abraham, the great patriarch, the one to whom God had given the promise and whose offspring would be the recipients of the, pro- the promise. Abraham was justified. By the works that accompanied his faith. And then on the other side, you have Rahab, who was a foreign prostitute, who also was justified when her faith worked itself out through the accompanying actions. And if these two so different people both were saved by their faith and the accompanying works, then surely everybody in between is saved in the same way. That is, that their faith requires the accompanying uh, actions that go along with a true faith. Because, he says in verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If, if we have a faith as if such a thing could happen, if we could have a faith with no accompanying works, that faith is dead. You've been to the funerals, the, the memorial services, and there's the open casket, and you see the body there? And it's just laying there. What's the difference between that body and the bodies of all of the people in this room? There's no life breath in that body. There's no spirit in that body. The person whom we knew and loved is no longer here. And we look at them and it looks very much like them. It looks the same, but we know that they are not here with us anymore. The body is dead. And in the same way, so is the faith that does not have the accompanying works. Faith apart from works is dead. It's just not there. It has no effect. It's useless. And so what does it look like for us to act in accordance with what we believe. If you believe that there is one true God, what does it mean then for you to act in keeping with that belief? If you you believe that you are a sinner deserving of the wrath of God because of His great holiness... How will you act because of that belief? If you believe that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take the wrath that you deserved, then how will you act in response to that belief? and if he then has made us to be a part of his people, all brought into his family, then how will we act? How will we treat one another in response to what we believe? If we say that we have faith in God, but we don't spend any time with God, if we say that we have faith in God, but we never give God any gifts. If we say that we have faith in God, but we never do what God wants, and we never give up our preferences for those of God's, can that faith save us? Let's pray. Lord God, we know that You are sovereign over all things. We know that You are good and You are holy and there is no wickedness in You at all. Lord, we know that we are not like you. Though we have been created in your image, we are full of sin and wickedness. And so we ask, Lord, would you forgive us of our sins? Would you redeem us and make us like you? And Lord, we pray that as we come to you as your people, that you would fill us with your Spirit, that you would produce in us the fruit of the Spirit, that we might display our love for you to you and to ourselves and to anyone who is around and watching, that they might know as well that you are God in heaven and earth, And we are your people, loved by you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.